What goes through your mind when I tell you that, hey, you're going to owe almost $350,000 in student loans? I don't blame you if you're feeling scared, anxious, or just downright regret taking out all that money. As you're picturing those piles of statements on your desk or wherever you keep your bills, maybe you'll do something like what Adam did and opt to get rid of it by, well, ignoring it. Looked at my options with my debt and said, you know what? I think that the economically advisable thing here is to pay as little as I can. All right. To be fair, he didn't ignore it. He has been strategic in terms of how he plans on getting those loans forgiven, which is a fancy term used at least in the US anyways when talking about how you don't really need to pay back the entire balance that you borrowed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know enough about navigating how someone would even go about this. Like, I mean, if you missed a clause in your loan documents and then like, what if you find out you still have to pay it back? Or how would you feel if all of this happened 20 years later and then your student loans just balloon to half a million dollars? Maybe the real question is, how is Adam figuring all this out? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, a podcast where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. This episode features Adam H. Cole, a couples financial counselor who draws on over a decade of experience as a certified mediator, relationship coach, financial advisor, and a former tax attorney. He comes on the show to chat about why and how he's chosen to, air quotes, ignore his $350,000 student loan debt, how he feels about it from a logistical and emotional point of view, and why his strategies might change if he's in a serious relationship. Before we start, I want you to know that there are no cut and dry answers when it comes to money management. That's why it's important for you to dial in on your values and use it as your guide. I have a free values-based spending guide that walks you through some juicy questions and how you can start using them to allocate your money. To grab it, head over to beyondthedollar.co slash values. All right, get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Adam, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. I am so thrilled that you decided to come on. Thank you so much for encouraging me and inviting me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am definitely somebody who likes to to push people gently into talking about their money stuff, as I'm sure you know. So <laughs> I know this is probably the first time maybe you've talked about it a little bit more publicly. I could be wrong. You're right. Basically, where did all of the debt come from? All of the debt came from law school and so specifically Duke University School of Law in Durham, North Carolina, and then an LLM, which is basically a one-year master's in tax law that I got at NYU the year after I finished at Duke. Okay. And so what was your intention after you graduated, like in terms of career path? Yeah. Well, the original intention was to work either in North Carolina or Florida, where I was from after Duke. And at the time when I went away to Duke, I was married. Then plans kind of shifted. And the plan was for us to both live and work in the New York City area to get a job there that I think at the time, Big Law was probably like 140, 150, Big Law being like the largest, highest paying law firms and figure that all out, pay off the debt and have lovely suburban upper middle class white picket fence life. So what happened? Because you went from that to deciding essentially to 
can we say ignore your debt? Yeah. A million things happened, Sarah. At a high level, I saw who I was and who I wanted to be, recognized that I wasn't going to fulfill on that being a lawyer full time. And along the way, just looked at my options with my debt and said, you know what? I think that the economically advisable thing here is to pay as little as I can. And then there are forgiveness programs. You know, most people, most commonly known as the public service loan forgiveness, which is more for people who've worked at a nonprofit or 501c3. And there's also a different one that will be have your debt forgiven after 20 years if you've made the proper payments. And at that point, it's a discharge of debt. So that is considered income. And I mean, I was confident in my ability to read the laws and regulations about this as a lawyer and tax lawyer. But you know, that was my reading of it. And then I went and talked to a student loan specialist and to my accountant. And everybody was like, yeah, that, that actually makes the most sense. I mean, I'll have to prepare when the time comes. I'll have a big tax bill that year because the amount that's forgiven will be considered income. So I'll be preparing in the years leading up to that to pay for that bigger tax bill. But that was ultimately the path I chose. So how much debt do you have in student loans? Yeah, it's multiple six figures. I mean, I think when I started, it was in the realm of like high ones or low twos. I mean, a single year at NYU will put you out over 70 grand, like 50,000 for tuition, and it's 30 something thousand to live in New York City. What's funny is that I had no undergrad debt and I had a 40% scholarship to Duke. And then at NYU, I had one of the few scholarships that they even give. I think it was $10,000 off of tuition. And even still, it was like about 70000 in debt from that year, plus whatever the amount of debt was at Duke, probably about 55000 a year. And so if I do the math real quick, that's like about close to two fifty. And it's only continued to rise because I haven't been paying... Like My monthly payments have often been not enough to cover the interest because I'll do the income-based amount rather than the standard 10-year because my goal is to keep it as low as possible. And in some months, especially starting a business, and there was a year that I did full-time activism, social activism, and didn't earn any money at all. So then my monthly payments were $0 during those months, which is great for someone going through forgiveness. But the balance continues to rise and go up and up and up over time. Let's talk about the decision because you've talked about, okay, you've looked at the sort of fine print, you consulted a specialist, you're well aware of what's going to happen in the future in terms of a tax bill you're seeing the numbers go up. I mean, what was the... Let's pick apart the emotional side of it. Because like coming to that decision, for many, many people, they're like, no, I got to pay down this debt. Like I don't want this hanging over me. Or it's just like such an anxiety-ridden ordeal, I guess you can say. But for you, again, you're, you've decided to, to pay as little as possible and be aware of that tax bill. So when you were like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing. It looks on paper like it'll work out? Like, how did you feel? <laughs> yeah, it's totally sensible question. And at the moment, I felt good because I have a very strong, logical, rational part of my brain, and it can overpower everything else, including my good sense and intuition and ability to validate other people's feelings sometimes. So that part of my brain felt really good about it because I looked and I said, to pay off 250, 300, 350,000 in debt, it's going to plus interest is going to be that's going to be a nightmare unless I somehow started making a million bucks a year, right? 
And so this makes sense logically, rationally. And so I think at the time that overpowered it. And I think the other thing was the drive to pursue a passion was something closer to my heart was so strong and intense for me that I wasn't really even willing to entertain anything that would jeopardize that. In the time since then, there's definitely like I default to anxiety around money. And so, you know, sometimes I think about that and there would be some anxiety. Another difficulty has been like I was in a long term relationship over the last several years. And it was kind of like, well, if we end up together, how is that going to affect us? You know, how does she feel about it? Her mom somehow got the idea that I was an economic mooch of some sort and told her daughter that. And so I was just like, oh, my God, what if her mom knows about the loans and like she's going to freak out and try and tell her daughter, don't marry this guy, you know, if we had gotten there. So there are implications. And, you know, there's some nerves around it for sure. If I dive down into it, like I said, at the time, those either weren't present and or I was able to squash them, whether it was a healthy squash or not, I can't really recall. I think at the time I didn't have as much self-awareness as I do now, you know, to look back and reflect on those feelings. But like I said, thankfully, my strong analytical side helped me make that call with confidence because financially it did make sense. But there's no doubt that it's scary to think about like, oh, whoa, you know, I have a big debt. And then, you know, Sarah, you and I met through the world of personal finance and there, like in most communities, can be a lot of judgment. And one of those pieces of judgment is around people who have debt and, quote, not paying it back, right? And just even having debt in the first place can make you the recipient of a lot of judgment or at least implicit judgment because you see people judging other people for having debt, right? It's very much like that Dave Ramsey, get rid of all your debt lifestyle. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I could, but I don't even think I want to, right? And that brings in all these conversations about well, you made that choice and you were an adult and you should be responsible for it. And it's like, well, yeah, I guess I was a married man when I went away to law school. So, you know, you could make a case that I should have had ethical responsibility for paying whatever debt I could. And for some reason, the willingness to take part in like a government forgiveness program and use your intellectual wherewithal to do that, it doesn't seem to get the same level of respect as the stance of having to pay off your debt, at least within our community. I mean, feel free to share if you have a different perspective. And I know we tend to hang out with some of the more progressive thinkers who have a more open mindset. But even in this community, there's a sense of pressure about that for sure. I do agree. There's a sense of pressure. And when you brought that up, and again, I appreciate you being very open about this, is do you feel like if you had made the decision while considering what other people thought, you may have felt differently as soon as you made it? As soon as you asked that question, I felt strong heaviness in my upper body. So probably, you know, I'm not sure whether I would have let that control my choice, but absolutely, you know, and I think that I made the decision to leave the law and it was such a strong desire for me that I was like, I'll figure out the finances later. Not that I didn't think about it at all, but like at the time I was working at a nonprofit before I went and started my coaching business. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll work in the nonprofit world for 10 years and then get forgiveness or Maybe I'll even create a nonprofit myself and do that for however many years I would have to do it beyond the time I had worked at the other nonprofit. So there were a lot of different considerations and, you know, life and our priorities and our jobs we work, those things change so much over time. So there have been multiple inflection points where, 
you know, I could have looked back and panicked or whatever. But, you know, to be honest, like part of what makes the decision a little bit easier was like the amount of interest alone on 350000 in debt is at about 7% a year. I mean, just doing the quick math, it's like 24500 of interest a year. So we're talking two grand a month just to pay the interest, right? As someone who's growing a small business right now, that would be a debilitating payment amount to make. So like, it just isn't even really plausible right now, right? So you have to look at other routes. At the very least, an income-based repayment plan. And by the time I would plausibly even be able to make any real progress, you know, even as my business grows, there's a very good chance that in that same time horizon, I'd be approaching the 20 years mark at which you can qualify potentially for forgiveness. So there's also a sense of necessity in there. But you know, saying it, I can feel a sense of shame coming up as well. Is it the sense of shame in terms of messages that we get from or you're getting from outside? Or is it just one of those you're concerned, more concerned about the future when you do pay that tax bill back? I the shame is more like a sense of like what I'm hearing from myself is like, oh, like you're a failure or you're a loser, like that kind of dialogue. And I'm not sure all the places it comes from, you know, I mean Debt is a complex topic that has a lot of different references. I mean, something that comes to mind is uh, so my family's Jewish, I'm Jewish, and like the Shakespeare Merchant of Venice, right? And the character who exacts, like, he gets his debt repaid one way or the other with a pound of flesh. And that character is very much a Jewish character. And there's, you know, there's a lot of cultural stereotypes around Jews and money and debt and, you know, basically that character is considered a very wicked character and like we will stop at nothing to get our money. And, you know, there's just a lot of pieces to that, Sarah, that I, boy, it would take quite a while and probably a lot of silence to sit down and unpack. Yeah. I mean, definitely like, I mean, the, I suppose the biggest takeaway so far, it's, it's never a, a simple, like I'm doing this and this is it, even as something at like especially, I guess, something like debt. I mean, it sounds easy, like, oh, borrow some money, pay it back, you're done. But there's so many layers. You know, just what you talked about, like, I don't, this is how much I'm going to pay interest per year, which when you said that number, I was like, oh my gosh, my college tuition didn't even cost that <laughs> much. Right. Right. And so it's just really interesting, the dynamics. And and I also want to say is that, you know, hearing from you about like consulting all these professionals before you made the decision, it clearly wasn't something you were like, I'm going to ignore this. And like, you know, all these past due bills are coming and you're just kind of ignoring it. You know, so it's one of those two where clearly you're an adult, you, you are in the finance profession, you have thought this through, but yet there are still these messages that were, you know, in society in general, I guess, is we have to deal with this fact that like debt can be a shameful thing. So how do you even talk to people about it? Like if you're going to be in a more serious relationship in the future, like have you thought about how you're going to approach that conversation with that person or their family members? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. A lot in there that I want to mention. And, you know, the first thing is there are a lot of people with past due notices and letters from their student loan or other debt companies. For me, that hasn't been the situation because I've made sure to be on the income-based repayment plan so that my payment amounts have been manageable. And I definitely, like you said, did think it a lot through. And I have the advantages of being a lawyer and a former lawyer and a former tax lawyer. But there are people out there who can help you navigate some of these questions. I mean, in fact, if that resonates with anybody, I have a, a friend of mine who does that work. I'm happy to make a referral. But yeah, I mean, so... I am in a 
at the moment of recording, at least a relatively new relationship, but it's going really well so far. We really are aligned and, you know, we're both at an age where not looking to just play around, right? We're looking for a serious relationship. And so I've already referenced to her this. I mean, look, the work that I do, Sarah, as you know, is I'm a couples financial counselor. I help people build stronger relationships through the topic of money because they're living better lives. They have, they're managing their debt and they're able to cultivate more intimacy and partnership through having healthy conversations about money. So I'm like, okay, definitely want to hold myself accountable to practice what I preach. And she and I have discussed some financial related stuff already. I mentioned that I have student debt. And, you know, I think we just have to continue to be open. As far as the question about families, that's really to be decided amongst the couples. You know, I think that that is not necessarily something that has to be the either person's families. They don't necessarily need to be aware of that. It's not necessarily relevant for them. But it's definitely important for couples to be on the same page and to talk about these things. And, you know, exactly when you talk about them, it's more an art than a science. I say you should start talking about money as soon as your finances are affecting each other's. And that's much sooner than before you have a joint account or are living together. It's as soon as you're, you know, planning trips together or even expensive dates together, right? These kinds of things, especially if you're splitting them or even if you're not, though, they're affecting the finances of the people involved. And at that point, I think it's good to at least start the conversation because of my career path and my passion for it. I am inclined to start talking more in depth more sooner, but that's just kind of how I look at it personally. Yeah. I want to talk about, I know you said like every month I see what I'm paying or what I owe and all of that. And like, tell me more about the kind of day-to-day money management side of it. Like when you see your bills and you're paying it, I'm assuming you have a pretty good system. Like does the thought of this student loan debt like come up often? And if so, like how do you kind of manage that? You know, it doesn't really come up too often. And occasionally I go like, am I like burying something here that I should be more cognizant of and, and, you know, digging into? And even conversations like this are helpful for me to, you know, have some reminders around it. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, it's just okay. Like, and the, at least the service provider, the student loan service provider that I have, Nelnet, when you certify your income, you can have that go for an entire year. So, you know, 20, I think it was for like 2019, I guess. 2018 was the first full year of my business. And I had plenty of business expenses and I had some revenue. And so it netted out to a relatively low amount of total income. So, and when I gave that them information, they were like, oh, cool, your income based repayment amount is $0 per month. That's what you owe based on their formula. And I was like, okay, great. And they're like, and that'll be good for 12 months. And I was like, perfect. So we'll see what happens after I file my taxes for 2019 going into 2020, what information it spits out. But for 2019, it was just I didn't have a payment due. Or you could say formally, I had a payment of $0. And so that certainly eased the discomfort because I didn't really have to worry about making a payment. And, you know, as far as a plan, yeah, just like each year, I know than what I'm going to owe for that year. And so you just have to build it in, right? Just like anything else, just like as a self-employed person, I have to build my health insurance into my plan and be aware that it's coming. You know, you just be aware. And it's like any other, like I said, health insurance is probably a reasonable analogy because you just kind of have to do it. And so I try not to worry too much about it on a regular basis. I just know I'm accounting for it financially. I do have to ask, how are you feeling as you're going to 
file your taxes for this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a totally reasonable question. And yeah, I mean, I would say that it does. My default mode around money is to feel anxiety. I mean, my default mode around most of life is to feel anxiety. So I don't think this area is any different. And, you know, I mean, my 2020 phrase is letting go. And 2019 phrase was like trust and just like faith. So, you know, just practicing like I'll figure out what I need to figure out. You know, it's not necessarily simple or easy, but I, like I said, was playing piano gigs and watching and walking dogs to kind of help float my business as needed last year. And if I had to do that again, I would do it again because I'm really passionate about the work that I do. And, you know, whatever it is, as need be. Like I said, I'm going to do my best to pay as little as possible with my student loans. And so if they came out with a number like, oh, you really owe like, you know, a thousand a month or something, I might see if there's any ways to appeal it. And so, you know, I mean, Sarah, there's always a little bit of nervousness and anxiety over something that's unknown, but I'm really practicing just to let go of that and trust myself to figure it out when times come. Yeah. So would you say that that's the biggest lesson that you've learned throughout this whole decision-making process? I feel like I can't really say I learned any particular lessons because it was almost like, you know, what I love about your podcast and the finance world and hopefully even this episode is to help people get a little bit of a bird's eye view in making their decisions. You know, I just recorded an episode for a podcast called the Former Lawyer Podcast. And I, I said the biggest lesson I learned there is just to keep taking steps forward. Because I was really involved in community organizing when I first thought about leaving the law. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to work for this nonprofit that I'm a part of that I'm volunteering for. And I'll do that for 10 years or work at some other nonprofit and I'll get loan forgiveness. And that was the initial plan, right? Like find a way to do my 10 years at a nonprofit. And then I parted ways with that organization and actually never got paid by them. So that year I volunteered full time is not going to qualify for loan forgiveness. And then I spent seven months at the nonprofit that I was working at before going off and ending up starting my own business. So the path is so uncertain. You know, lessons learned are not in ways that I feel like I could profess them as like to other people, hey, you should do this in a concrete way. What I can say is that my journey toward taking care of myself, especially like emotionally, mentally, spiritually, has been really essential to staying grounded throughout this process and learning how to trust myself in my own decision making and that I can figure things out and will figure things out if they don't go as planned. That's just been so essential to my process. And um, also to managing the different swings of emotion as I started a business, as I watched my savings account become 10% of what it originally was, as I went from someone who had always made sure he had a lot of money in the savings account to having very little money in the savings account and learning how to navigate those swings, right? Of being unsure, am I going to be able to pay this credit card bill in full on time? Because that was something I had never not done. I had always made my payments in full. You know, and I probably would have taken pride in paying off that debt as quickly as possible and efficiently as possible and to be able to switch gears. But the biggest advice that I can give is just to keep taking the next step even if it's a small step, you know, whether it's today or this week, just take another step forward towards your vision, towards your dream, towards what it is you're creating and what you want to have. And it's only then that the obstacles come up, right? Like, oh, I thought I was going to be able to get loan forgiveness for the nonprofit. Wait a minute. I am not going to qualify for this. Or actually, I want to start my own business and I want it to be a for-profit business. 
you don't know about those obstacles and the proper responses or the the responses you want to make until you take those steps forward. So, you know, for people listening who have some sort of dream and they have fears and anxieties about implications of it, including financially, that's totally normal and reasonable. And finding your balance between making sure you're addressing your emotional and spiritual needs while also just continuing to move forward and figuring and trusting yourself to manage what comes up as it arises. Well, Adam, you said that very beautifully. So thank you for coming on. Where can everyone find you online? Yeah. uh, So I am pretty active on Instagram at AHK Coaching. That's A is in Apple, H is in Hippopotamus, K is in Kangaroo, which is my initials, Adam Hubble Cole. You can find me, connect and follow on LinkedIn as well. Adam H is my middle initial and then Cole K-O-L. And uh, I also have my own podcast called the Equal Partners Podcast, which just at the time of this recording, Sarah recently launched, as you know, and I'm really excited. That's all about everything around money and relationships having a lot of wonderful, fascinating guests on there talking about anything and everything related to money and their partnership with their significant other. In fact, there's a very special guest coming on in a few weeks. You might recognize her. Her name is Sarah (laughs) Lee Kane. She's the person who hosts this podcast. We had a wonderful conversation. So yeah, I would say those are the best places to find me. And then my website, which is ahkcoaching.com. Well, Adam, again, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you for having me, Sarah. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam and you got a little bit of insight as to what he's doing in navigating his student loans. If you're in the U.S. and this is similar to your situation, maybe you don't own it as much, there is such a thing called the Public Student Loan Forgiveness Program. I'm going to just say PSLF for short. Now, given this, I am not a student loan expert. I am not a student loan lawyer. So I'm just going to pull some stuff from the official website of the Department of Education. So I will link to that in the show notes if this is something that you are interested in pursuing. So the idea of the PSLF program is that it will basically eradicate the remaining balance on certain federal student loans once you have made qualifying payments. So it has to be under a qualifying repayment plan and you need to be working full-time for a qualifying employer. Now, obviously it depends on what that is. It doesn't necessarily have to be a nonprofit as far as I'm aware of, but again, that's something that I would encourage you to research on your own. Now, some people are going to find that they may be disqualified or their application for PSLF can be denied. Now, Apparently, again, please do your own research, you may be able to be eligible for student loan forgiveness through another program, which is called the Temporary Expanded Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. Now, some statistics. In 2019, more than 41,000 people have applied for PSLF. And out of that, 32 applications were actually denied because they didn't meet the requirements. And then another almost like 12,000 applications were basically turned down for missing information. So lesson learned here is that even if you're not paying back student loans, if you're trying to figure out something with your debt, you're trying to negotiate a rate or even less payment, do your homework, all right? Now, Adam, to the best of his knowledge, has done his homework. He's consulted professionals. 
And so if this is something that you're looking at doing, right, whether again, whether it's student loan debt or whether it's whatever kind of debt, please seek some professional help because you just never know. Sometimes the fine print could be really tricky and kind of if you're making guesses, you're really putting your finances really at risk, right? So there's some really great student loan lawyers. I think he's a listener, Jay, (laughs) and I'll put a link to him in the show notes. If not, I know he's super helpful. His wife was on the podcast a couple of seasons ago talking about diet culture, and I'm pretty sure he'll be happy to point you some resources. So again, I'll, I'll link to what I can in the show notes. Now, perhaps the bigger question or overarching question in terms of Adam's story is, how does debt play a role in your life? All right. So again, it can be a mortgage. It can be a car loan credit card debt, student loan, like how does it really play a role in your life? Have you taken a look at it? How do you feel from a logistical point of view? Like does your income really cover it? Does it not? Are you negotiating your bills? And then how are you feeling about it emotionally? Because there's a really pervasive message and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. So please let me know if you agree or disagree is that it really appears that the messages that society at large gives us is that debt is like this moral failing. Like, oh my gosh, you are the worst person in the world for having all of this debt and you haven't paid it back. Like right now, you're a terrible person, right? Now, I've talked about credit card debt I had when I was in my early 20s. And that was something I really felt like I felt so ashamed of it that I didn't talk about it for a really, really long time. I mean, now I, I pretty much openly share a, a quite a f- lot of things about my financial life, but back then it was not something I talked about. I think I talked about it with my mom <laughs> and that was about it, All right? So what I really want to leave you with and challenge you with and even maybe asking yourself is, is how are you feeling emotionally about the debt? Because if you owe a lot, right, whatever your situation is and you're paying it back, like that's great. You're trying to better your financial situation. Shaming yourself, feeling this sense of, again, moral failing isn't really going to help anybody, all right? And whether, again, it's student loans or it's something else, really navigate that. And that being said, if you haven't even looked at the paperwork because you're anxious about it, again, a perfectly normal reaction, but ultimately it is up to you to navigate the paperwork and then go and seek help. It can be really scary asking for help. It can be really scary looking at the numbers or even asking other people. It doesn't have to be professional about it, but I sincerely hope that if you know, you're know you in a situation that's similar to Adams or again, whatever it is that you are able to reach for help. If you want to talk to me about it, I am more than happy to email me hello at beyondthedollar.co. Okay, that's that's enough rambling from me. I do want to mention next week's episode is a really good one. And I'm, I know I'm totally being biased, but next episode is featuring a guest. Their name is Charis, and they're going to dive into their experience of buying a home as someone who is actually on disability. So make sure to stay tuned next week for that one. All right. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link. Whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. 
Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music. Music.